Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo. I know you haven't heard from me or us in a while. Uh, Joe Wolfon and I have been off, I'd say most of August, parts of August, uh, due to the kind of dog days of the summer. Obviously, the KD thing happened this week. The Patrick Beverly trade to the Lakers happened. So I uh, thought it would be a good time to break this August hiatus and give our loyal listeners who have been reaching out and asking where episodes are at least one episode to hold them over until both of Wolfond and I are back in a couple weeks. So that's what today is. Uh, today's episode is going to be me with a special guest, Anthony Irwin of Silver Screen and Roll, covers the Lakers. Uh, we're going to talk about the Pat Bev trade to the Lakers, talk about you know all of the things that ail the Lakers right now and over the last few years and then we're going to get into some KD Brooklyn talk before I get into that conversation with Anthony Irwin I do want to mention off the top obviously didn't want to go the whole episode without mentioning it Chet Holmgren unfortunately done for the year after suffering a Liz Frank injury to his right foot happened in Jamal Crawford's crossover pro-am in Seattle look the, the story here is that it just sucks for Chet who, you know, is going to be a really fascinating rookie and a fascinating player in general and a really unique player. I wrote about Chet, uh, you know, leading up to the draft. I wrote about him and Victor Wembanyama and this kind of new breed of seven-foot do-it-all guys that, you know, though we've seen seven-footers evolve over time, we really haven't seen what Holmgren and Wimbanyama are at any point in basketball history until now when you really look at all that they do. So, you know, myself, basketball fans in general, Thunder fans for sure, were hopeful of what Holmgren could be even this year as a rookie. And it's a shame we won't get to see that. But obviously, most of all, it's a shame for him that his NBA career is going to be derailed for at least a year and postponed for at least a year. So number one thing, we want Chet to heal up, get better, all that. But the one thing I'll address is you know, people on Twitter talking about the fact that he this happened in a pro-am event and a summer run and what that means and whether, you know, these kinds of events should be barred or, you know, that there was condensation on the court and that's why uh, the game ended up being canceled anyway and all this stuff. But it's like, look, these guys are going to hoop during the summer and you're not going to stop them from doing that. Now, they're going to hoop on their own in private gyms with their trainers. They're going to do a bunch of different stuff. They're going to have really competitive games at the runs held by famous trainers. And then at other times, you're going to be in these pro-am events. But I think what you got to keep in mind is that this wasn't some random, you know, this wasn't Chet Holmgren hurting himself playing some random pavement game, you know, in name wherever that his team and and the NBA wouldn't have been happy about. He was playing in what was a sanctioned event pro-am wise, nothing that, you know, went against his contract or anything like that. And he got hurt, as can happen in any basketball game anywhere. And it's just unfortunate that it happened in a pro-am game in the summer that people will talk about. But at the end of the day, it was an unfortunate injury that happened in a sanctioned pro-am event. As for the people that, you know, are asking questions or saying it's an example of why his frame is so concerning, again, I'm not really sure about that either. If you watch the injury that happened, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a sports medicine guy. I'll leave that for the experts. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, if he was uh, of a different frame, then the injury wouldn't have happened. We don't know that. And also, if he was of a different frame, he wouldn't have been as fascinating to people for the reasons that he is. So anyway, those are all my thoughts on the Chet Holmgren thing. 
between the event itself, between how he got hurt, between his frame, I think there are people jumping to a lot of conclusions right now when it is very early in the process and the only thing that really matters at this moment is Chet getting himself right for next year and the Thunder going from there. And I mean, we'll see what happens with Oklahoma City this year. I thought they were going to be a really fun, bad team, but they were still going to be bad. And I think that they're going to be bad uh, more so now because I think Chet could have made it somewhat of an impact this year. So we'll see what happens there. It's a shame that Shea Gilgis-Alexander isn't really going to have much of an improved team to play with because I think in the right setting, he'd be on the cusp of like maybe superstardom right now, but it's going to be hard to do that uh, with a team that goes like 24 and 58 at best. But anyway, I digress. Let's get to talking about things that will actually matter this season, and that is the new look Lakers. They're already new look with Pat Bev in the fold and Taylor Horton Tucker out. We'll see what happens after that, and we'll talk to Anthony Irwin about that, about his thoughts on the move the sequence of events that led to this current move and also what the Lakers might look like by the time opening night rolls around. And then as mentioned, we will also touch a bit on the Kevin Durant stuff. Again, Anthony Irwin from the Silver Screen and Roll. You can follow him on Twitter at Anthony Irwin LA uh, and also check out Silver Screen and Roll, the Lakers SB Nation blog. All right, as promised now, Anthony Irwin of the Silver Screen and Roll to talk about what clearly the biggest news of the week, you know, who's KD anyway out in Brooklyn. It's the Lakers acquiring Patrick Beverly for Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson. So, uh, Anthony, first of all, welcome to the show. Glad to have you and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Well, it was funny the way that the Kevin Durant stuff was framed, right? was like Kevin Durant agrees to extend his tenure in yeah. Brooklyn. It was like, he did that last year? Like, yeah. That's not, that's not technically news. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that the biggest actual news, the biggest move here, yeah, was was uh, the Lakers sending Taylor Horton Tucker to Utah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting on a lot of levels. Obviously, we can talk about like the whole Russ factor and, and their history there, whether it was Beverly hurting him accidentally in the playoffs all those years back, even though Russ seemed to think it was maybe a little malicious. And then the Russ stuff about Pat Bev trick y'all a few years ago and all this back and forth. So there's that part of the saga. There's the question, of course, of whether Russell Westbrook will even be on the team by the time uh, the season tips off and a bunch of other places we can go. The first thing I just want your thoughts on, though, is in a vacuum, the Lakers getting Patrick Beverly for THT and Stanley Johnson isn't a bad piece of business. Like Pat Bev's probably an underrated player at this point, a solid uh, playmaker, decent shooter, obviously a good defender. Like he does some things the Lakers need. And I think strictly in a vacuum for this year on paper, I think the Lakers are better than they were yesterday. Would you agree with that? It's close. So I, I I agree with you. If if it was just THT for Patrick Beverly, I would completely agree with you. 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beverly, the Lakers essentially for the last few off seasons, oddly, since they won a championship have essentially been looking for creators around LeBron rather than finishers around LeBron. Like the reason him and Anthony Davis work out so well is because LeBron is the greatest creator that we have ever seen. And Anthony Davis is one of the better finishers that we have ever seen. And and Alex Caruso was of that same kind of finisher mold where he can knock down the occasional uh, three. He can he was a good cutter. He was really good out in transition. Um, and and he wasn't really somebody you would look to and say, all right, go create us a bucket, whether it's for yourself or for somebody else. If he ever tried to do something like that, it usually looked funny. It didn't it didn't go very well. 
and I think Patrick Beverly is of that same ilk. I don't think he's nearly as good as Caruso at this stage of his career, but Beverly is a good spot up three point shooter and, uh, you know, is okay in, in, in space and stuff like that, but he's not going to go out there and create for a bunch of guys off of the dribble. That's not what he's good at. And then also you add uh, the solid defense that he plays. Although I think that's kind of slipped in, in recent years at this stage of his career. But yeah, in, in terms of fit, if it was just Beverly for uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, I would say, yeah, that would that's a perfectly fine trade. But the Lakers are so devoid of wings that including Stanley Johnson here does kind of hurt quite a bit because I basically for the last couple of seasons, if they ever ran into an oversized wing, they didn't have anybody who had a chance at guarding that player. And uh, Johnson was finally somebody who could at least appear in the window when those people rose up. <laughs> uh, they don't really have any guys like that anymore. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see what they do to, to address that over the course of the season. But I think they're slightly better, maybe not as, as, as good as I would like them to be, but they are definitely slightly better than they were yesterday. Well, to your point about them being devoid of wings, I think the fact that in a trade like this, you can have Lakers fans, Lakers media people, anyone who kind of follows the NBA saying, ah, they really could have used Stanley Johnson though. I think that tells you how devoid of wings they are, right? If, <laughs> if right. you know, yeah. regardless of what we think about the Lakers, a team that at least internally believes they can compete for a title again or whatever, you know, they have LeBron AD, a team that thinks that they're at that level, having to look at this like, ah, damn, we could have used Stanley Johnson. And to your point, that yeah. shows you how devoid of wings this team is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, and, and that's what we're basically saying about the entirety of their roster, man. I sure hope Austin Reeves <laughs> figures it out and takes a step forward next year. He was an undrafted player um, who, who just surprised people. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, now they're there, Wenyan Gabriel is another guy where him and Stanley Johnson look so good on last year's roster because they gave a bleep and yeah. <laughs> compared to the guys that they were getting minutes, um, in comparison to they, those guys didn't, you know, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Ariza, Carmelo Anthony, like those guys just didn't seem to bring it on the defensive side. So when Stanley Johnson and Wenyan Gabriel showed up, and it had the ability to get out and, and showcase NBA type athleticism. And then on top of that cared, uh, it was refreshing. So yeah, it's, it's Stanley Johnson in terms of the NBA macro view is an okay player. You know, was on his way out of the league and then found a landing spot with the Lakers and is now, um, I'm really happy to say is now, seems to be carving out a potential second chapter of his career. Uh, but for the Lakers, <laughs> given the stuff that they don't have on their roster, uh, he will be missed. Yeah. You know, I talked about how like in a vacuum, you can definitely talk yourself into this deal for the Lakers and convince yourself that they are at, at the very least a little better than they were before this deal went down. But of course, in the NBA, in pro sports, we have to look at things in totality and you can't look at things just in a vacuum and where this deal starts to look a lot less than ideal is when you consider the totality and the entire sequence of events that led to this point. I know that's something that you were talking about on Twitter as well. So when you talk about Taylor Horton Tucker being a sunk cost, when you talk about this all stemming from, you know, uh, not paying Alex Caruso and basically choosing Taylor Horton Tucker over him to people that maybe don't follow the Lakers as religiously as you do, 
Can you explain that? Can you kind of put it into context for someone who doesn't follow Lakers as religiously as you do as why this move is so frustrating for Lakers fans, despite the fact the team probably got a little better? Yeah, I think both of those things can be true, right? At the same time, these aren't mutually exclusive points that the Lakers are better than they were yesterday, but they didn't. This move is necessitated by a mistake that they made last offseason where, look, the Lakers tried like hell to leak that they were just pressed for for cash and they had to make a choice between Alex Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker and that signing Alex Caruso would have been this crippling financial investment of 40 million additional luxury tax dollars. And I'm sorry, man, but you guys print money. Like we 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 can see we can see the amount of revenue that that the Lakers generate on any given year, and this notion that they couldn't uh, afford a player that they started in a finals clinching game. Like this is the thing with Alex Caruso; he wasn't just some dude. And uh, he when when the Lakers moved him into the starting lineup against Miami in the bubble. At one point in that game, the Lakers held a 40-point lead. Like, that doesn't happen in, in NBA Finals games. And uh, this guy, Caruso, was uh, had the highest net rating with LeBron that any of his teammates have ever had over the course of LeBron's career. So this guy clearly, Caruso, clearly was somebody that the Lakers should have invested in. in. Um, and, and if they were going to force themselves into a choice between Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker... And it, the choice should have been obvious, right? The guy who fits your timeline, the guy who, again, you started in a finals clinching game. Um, instead, the Lakers to, uh, sp- talked themselves into Taylor Horton Tucker's upside. Obviously, clutch plays a factor here, too, because of who represents Taylor Horton Tucker. So, like, that was a factor as well. And Caruso goes to Chicago was one of the reasons why their defense looked as good as it did. And then when he got hurt, him when him and Lonzo got hurt, their their defense falls off a cliff. And and the Lakers, you know, never really found a way to replace the defense, especially on the perimeter, that Caruso was able to provide. You know, essentially you choose, and this is what I said on Twitter, but you they they chose Taylor Horton Tucker over Caruso. And now they're trading Taylor Horton Tucker and one of their only wings for a lesser older Caruso. (laughs) So, so even while again, even acknowledging that, that yes, this was a a net positive for the Lakers as we know them this off season. If you look at them over the course of Rob Polinka's tenure, it is just, it's, it's a study in poor asset management. And this is just the latest example. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with the poor asset management there. And that has come to define the Rob Polinka era. Like, I wrote about this, you know, at length last season, but look, I completely get the lore of the Lakers. I understand even a move like this that, you know, opens up some more cap space for them in 2023 when Horton Tucker would have a player option. Like I get that that means something to the Lakers, especially because they are always going to be in the mix if they have cap space. I understand all that, but at a certain point, you can't just rely on the fact like, well, we're the Lakers. And if we ever have caps, like we'll find a way to land the next big fish, you know, the next, I get that it worked with LeBron. I do. But if you Mm -hmm. like, if you take LeBron, just deciding that he wanted to play in LA for the Lakers out of the equation. And you look at what this team has done basically for what, eight, nine years now, like the, the asset management has been pretty terrible in that span. And so I get it, I guess, Hey, you still have LeBron and AD and they'll have cast space in 2023. And maybe just because they're the Lakers, they really will pull another rabbit out of their hat. But the 
the sequence of events, as you mentioned, uh, the asset management, the entire track record under Palinka, and the fact that he has survived as long as he has despite that track record, it's just, you know, I made some jokes last year where I said the Lakers are basically now like, they're kind of like Knicks West, but with palm trees and a beach behind them. Like, so everyone yeah. still wants to play. Like, I get it. They won a championship in the last couple of years. They're not the Knicks. They're not that low. But mm-hmm. in terms of the way they're operating. Approach. Internally, yeah. right. The approach seems to be going that route. Um, and they have the benefit, obviously, of, yes, being the Lakers playing in L.A. Even when you consider the the Taylor Horton, Tucker, Lowry thing. I know maybe it's a little overplayed by now. It's, you know, a year and a half away. But Still, at the time, the report was that Plinka and the Lakers brass didn't want to give up Taylor Horton Tucker for an expiring Kyle Lowry at the time. And, you know, you fast forward a year and a little bit later, really, they're now trading Horton Tucker. And as you mentioned, one of their only wings for basically one year of Pat Beverly. There's not too much of a difference there. And I still go back to it thinking, hey, if you had traded for Kyle Lowry back then, if the Raptors actually were willing to make a deal with the Lakers, centered around Horton Tucker... Lowry could have helped them in that 2021 playoff run when they were, you know, trying to defend a championship, although injuries mm-hmm. derailed that. And then if they had actually convinced them to stay there, which I don't think would have been that difficult again in LA, mm-hmm. you don't have to then make the moves they made to get Russell Westbrook. Like the total asset collection still would have been greater. There could have been another move made. Like they would have been better overall had they made that move then. And now mm-hmm. it's like we're sitting here a year and a half later and instead Taylor Horton Tucker went in a deal for Pat Bev, as you mentioned, just an older Caruso. Um, yep. And and they're sitting here without the assets that were then used to get Russell Westbrook. Like it's it's very shambolic. Yeah. So it essentially Harrison and I, who Harrison does this, uh, a show with me on on the Silver Screen podcast feed. And, and uh, one of the things that we always kind of laugh at is these lines in the sand that Rob Polinka will draw. And he just won't, he won't budge when he sees these lines in the sand. So before when, when, when they were, when we talk about a deal that the Lakers were trying to work out with Toronto for Kyle Lowry, it was, it was, it was sizable, right? It was Contavious Caldwell Pope, their starting shooting guard. It was Dennis Schroeder, their starting point guard. And it was Taylor Horton Tucker, right? Who at that time had a lot more value around the league Mm -hmm. uh, clearly than he does now. Um, And, and, I, it, the the line in the sand shouldn't have been THT there. The line in the sand should have been either of the guys who were on your starting backcourt. Right. Like you would you would think you would think that you know that would be something that that you would be a little bit more flexible on as it pertains to to Talon. And you know we saw it last year at the deadline where uh, Rob didn't want to include the first round pick to uh, move Russell Westbrook, and that was his line in the sand. And they wind up not moving Russell Westbrook. LeBron spends all of All-Star Weekend subtweeting Rob Polinka, and then they they play out the second half of what was a miserable season. And now we see it again where look, there are there are conflicting reports here as it pertains to the Lakers dealings with Brooklyn. And obviously as we at given how things played out, I think we can kind of sort of assume that Brooklyn the entire time was a lot more focused on bringing uh, Kevin Durant back than anything else. And so this notion that they would have traded Kyrie Irving um, and, and risk losing Kevin Durant over that, I, I that's, that's context that ne- needs to be mentioned, but that all said the Lakers, a- according to some reports could have had Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris for Russell Westbrook and those two first round picks and didn't want to part with both of them. Again, one of those, arbitrary lines in the sands 
that that Rob keeps drawing. And we're seeing it again right now where the Lakers are in negotiations with Indiana for Miles Turner and for Buddy Heald. And again, he just doesn't want to include that second first round pick, not wanting to step over that line in the sand. And, you know, the thing with lines in the sand is you can always fudge over them. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're very easily movable. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, it, it's, it's gotten him into trouble. Like you said, with, with the, what has now become an all time, what if with the Kyle Lowry situation, but, but again, last season dating back to Alex Caruso, that, that he would be the line in the sand financially that the Lakers would draw and never step over. It was just, it's just been, you know, move after move after move. So essentially, sorry to ramble. No, oh, okay. they win it. They win a championship in uh, 2020 in the, in the bubble again. So however people want to feel about the bubble, we can, that's a completely separate uh, conversation, but they win that championship there and they trade Danny green and I believe one or two first rounders uh, for Dennis Schroeder. And uh, that was the, the beginning of this move towards creators versus finishers. And obviously Schroeder doesn't fit in right from the get go, basically shows up, demands to be started. Never things never really work all that well. The Lakers still try to sign him to an $84 million contract extension, which he turned down hilarious, hilariously. Now, not, now that it looks like he might be coming, going back to the Lakers on the minimum. But uh, that was the first step there was Danny Green ends some stuff for Dennis Schroeder. And then from there, after that doesn't work out, rather than rethinking the approach, they go another step further and they move a first rounder and Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell for Russell Westbrook. So essentially in this, in this search for this nomadic search for a creator alongside LeBron, they have now given up at least two or three first round picks to this point. Now they're going to have to get rid of, uh, in order to get rid of Russell Westbrook, it's going to cost at least another first round pick. And they probably aren't going to find the creator that they've been looking for yep. all this time. So it's just, it, it's just been this blind leading the dumb search through the <laughs> desert to find a player who doesn't fit what they need to be allocating resources for. And this is how you wind up where the Lakers currently stand. Yeah. And I get the, you know, thinking about those long-term first-round picks and why it might be terrifying to part with them. You know, you consider like a post-LeBron world and if the Lakers aren't good and they have no first-round picks, it can get really scary. But at the end of the day, you've got LeBron James at this stage of his career. You've got mm -hmm. Anthony Davis. You just got LeBron to lock in for at least one more year, maybe two if he picks up that late option. Again, at least internally, they can convince themselves they are built... They're obviously built to win right now, whether they actually can, whether they stay healthy, whether the depth ends up good enough. But when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team, you're built to win now, not win three, four years down the line. And everything I said about the Lakers being the Lakers, it's funny to me because on one hand, they're operating in this way where their asset management has been terrible and they haven't really been the most shrewd uh, actors from a business perspective. And they almost carry themselves where like it doesn't matter because we're the Lakers and we'll figure it out. But then yet, at the same time, are so concerned about these very future first round picks that they're holding on to as if it's like, well, we can't get rid of those because yeah, if we're bad and then we don't have those picks, we're in trouble. It's like, well, I thought you were the Lakers. Like, pick one here. Are you gonna which way are you gonna operate, right? Like, are you gonna be shrewd or are you not gonna be shrewd? Because it's kind of too right. late for that now. You're so mm -hmm. far all in with this team. And if they don't win with this team again, one, 
more time in the next couple of years, then it's a waste anyway. So might as well just, you're already as all in as all in can get minus those two picks, just finish the job, you know, and do what you right. got to do by using those picks, you know, and even the Heald and Turner thing, like, look, if you add Buddy Heald and Miles Turner to this team again, and Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy, you can 100% compete for a title, whether you win yeah. one or not, obviously, who knows, but you, you'll be in the mix. Essentially, like what the goal of this offseason has always been, in my eyes at least, has been giving LeBron and Anthony Davis a puncher's chance, right? Eight. Essentially, you want to try to take the Lakers to being one of those teams that heading into the postseason, you hear all of the analysts saying, well, nobody wants to play the Lakers. <laughs> nobody wants to play LeBron. Nobody wants to play Anthony Davis. And that was like the best case scenario, I think, for this offseason. So, Look, again, like you said earlier, in a vacuum, if the Lakers were able to turn Taylor Horton Tucker, Stanley Johnson, Russell Westbrook, and a couple first-round picks into Patrick Beverly, Buddy Heald, and Miles Turner and go into next season with a closing five of Beverly, Heald, LeBron, AD, and Turner, then that's a puncher's chance. That's a puncher's chance scenario that that you would have liked to seen play out here. But after that, the, the cupboard is completely bare. And the cupboard would be completely bare on a team that, again, the best thing you can say about them has a chance at maybe competing for a championship. And just think about how crazy that is. You have LeBron James at a point in his career. Yes, he's older, clearly, but he was capable of leading the league in scoring last year. And you have Anthony Davis heading into his, I think, year 30 season. So it's not like he's at some extended portion of his career either. So you have two guys in either the twilight or, or in the middle of their, their primes. And uh, they are two at one point considered two top five talents in the NBA and the Lakers with a completely now barren cupboard might be competing for maybe championship contention. Like it's just, even if they get to that point, it just feels like a net failure all around. hundred percent. I agree with you. And again, to me, that speaks of how poorly, the roster and the construction and all of it has been managed that you can get to this point where you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And and then yet this is still the conversation, right? And to me, it goes back to that kind of, whether you want to call it arrogance or incompetence, whatever it is, but that kind of carrying themselves like, well, we're the lake. Like you, you, at a certain point, it's going to catch up to you. You can't, you can't keep making bad basketball decisions and think that just being the Lakers and, you know, getting the LeBron when he's a free agent or whoever the next marquee free agent is, is just going to continually save you. If you're not building well around that guy or like consistently creating a, an atmosphere and an infrastructure and a culture that makes it so that when those guys come in, there's like a sound, consistent thing there, right? right? And yeah. clearly that's not the case here. Well, I don't know how, how into baseball you are, but very much so. Um, the, 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 the Lakers operate obviously in a city with the Dodgers and mm-hmm. the Dodgers are, they, they very easily could, they could be Yankees West, right? They could yeah. just kind of sit down at any table and say, we are the Dodgers and you are going to come to the Dodgers because we are the Dodgers. Right. But they don't do that. They actually, they, they hired Andrew Friedman who was with Tampa Bay and made Tampa Bay this crazy contender against the aforementioned Yankees, right? In the yep. same division with them, made them competitive with that with that um, team out there. And, and given all of the disadvantages that Tampa Bay would have against New York, they bring in Andrew Friedman and they essentially tell him, look, operate as if we are a small market team, but we also have the advantages of being in a giant market. 
like we have the never ending checkbook sitting over here that if we want to go out and trade for a Max Scherzer, trade for a Trey Turner, sign a Freddie Freeman, like those are things that they can go out and do, but also really focus and don't let anything fall between the cracks. So while the Dodgers are in, in the middle of a season that they might break the all time wins record, they have the second best yeah. farm system in baseball. I covered the Dodgers when they were uh, getting ready to hire Andrew Friedman. And I covered them when they were getting ready to, to hire uh, Dave Roberts. And I brought some of the lessons learned at given the way that the Dodgers operate over to covering the, the Lakers. And it's maddening <laughs> because you go from, you go from the way that an organization in sports should operate to the Rambi. And yeah, exactly. And, and I just you know, it's, it's, it's mind boggling that this multi-billion dollar, entity that is the Los Angeles Lakers runs like a family owned restaurant. This run that they're on right now, where uh, the championship is more the outlier that proves the rule is, is kind of, it, it shouldn't really shock anybody. No, I completely agree with you. And I think what's shocking to me is that, you know, when Jeannie Buss took over and when she made the move to f literally fire her brother at the time, it was seen, and I, I, I talked about this on an episode a few months ago, but it was seen, and I think rightfully so, as like, okay, as cold-hearted as that might seem, that's the kind of move that shows you she has the stomach for this because that's mm -hmm. the kind of move, whether it was her father or insert any name of any great sport executive before, that's the kind of move they would have made, you know, if, if yeah. they felt it was necessary to keep the team operating at the high level that they hold their standards to. And then it's like, we fast forward all these years later, and as I asked back then, I'm like, you know, where has that gumption gone? Like the gumption that allowed her, the stomach that allowed her to fire her own brother because he wasn't living up to the Lakers standard and fairly so. But I don't know, where is that same stomach when it comes to Kurt and Linda Rambis or Rob Palinka? Like it doesn't make sense to me that this kind of power trio, like whatever they are, how have they managed to stay mm -hmm. in power as long as they have, whether officially or unofficially? given the depths the Lakers have sunk to nepotism and cronyism. Like it, it's so it's easy to fire your brother that you don't necessarily get along with anyway. Like it's, it's easy to do yeah. that. Um, he might be blood. And, and I'm not saying that Jeannie doesn't care about um, Jim in any real way, in any way whatsoever. Right. Like they are still siblings and, and I don't know the, the extents of their relationships or whatever, but at that time it was a pretty frayed public relationship between those two and when Jim made it <laughs> uh, infamously put his own, he stamped his name on, if we aren't in the conference championships, right. I will step down or I, I am okay with being fired. That was the okay that Jeannie was looking for. And she took that opportunity, rightfully so. Like Jim was a mess that the, they, they signed Timothy Mozgov and, or uh, yeah, yeah. Timothy Mozgov and the wall. $64 million. Yeah, and 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 they did that as their first signings on <laughs> in in a free agency period where they had double max cap space and and so like they this is a guy that, was that the should not have that was the famous summer when KD went to the Warriors when the, right. the TV deal sent you mm -hmm. know good teams into double max space and in the Lakers yeah. case okay they weren't good at the time but they were the Lakers as we've been talking about with right. double max space. Yeah, and and so they used that all that space on two guys they should not have used that space on, and and crippled their their path forward for the next half a decade. Then they had to go into the tank, and you know they to their credit to their to their scouting department's credit, 
basically all of the guys that they drafted while they were tanking have worked out in the NBA. No real bust other than like Anthony Brown who, who didn't pan out. But other than that, D'Angelo Russell's an all-star Julius Randall, I believe is either an all-star or close to it. Jordan Clarkson, six man of the year. Like they, they did an okay job during that stretch uh, to, to, to make do. But yeah, like you said, Jeannie bus steps in, makes the right move. Um, and, and, does so, I thought, with somebody that she was always going to be positioned to be able to do that with. But now with with Linda Rambis and with Kurt Rambis being friends that go back 40 years, like I don't know if you've watched um, either Winning Time on, on HBO or this new Hulu documentary that, that the I've, I've Lakers have I've watched Winning right Time. Now. I've yet to watch the like the Lakers approved one. Well, yeah, the Hulu one. Yeah. So it, it, it like you said, Lakers approved is the, is the operating word there. But um, it really goes in both of those things kind of show why Jeannie feels the way that she does about Linda. They go back 40 years. This is somebody who uh, Dr. Bus positioned as like an older sister to Jeannie Bus. Mm-hmm. So, and this is that's why the age old cliche exists don't go into business with friends because yep. at some point you're going to have to operate cold um, in a way that that business demands you to. And any hesitancy that you have to do that is going to cripple the business. And I think that's kind of where we find ourselves now, where the Lakers at some point here, if things don't go, and I don't think they're going to go, they aren't going to live up to expectations again this upcoming season. And if they don't, Genie Bus is going to have some really complicated decisions to make, whether it be with the Rambi or whether it be with Rob Palinka, a friend that she's had of 20, 30 years um, because of the relationship the Lakers had with Kobe Bryant. So mm-hmm. uh, it, nepotism and cronyism can work out sometimes, but when it doesn't, it doesn't loudly. It yeah. fails loudly and it fails ugly. And I think that might be where we're heading in this situation. Okay, well then to that point, um, before we get to, I, I had mentioned I want to talk a few minutes uh, with you about KD. Before yeah. we get to that, I'll kind of finish this Lakers part off then by asking some questions and getting your thoughts on them. And you can answer them quickly, rapid fire style, or you can go, you can rant about them, whatever you want. And the first one to piggyback off of what we were just talking about and and the nepotism, the cronyism and the attachment to Palinka and the Rambi is what do you think is the acceptable result this season that will keep that trio in power. I mean, the, you know, the friendships, whatever, are what they are. But I mean, in power in terms of their roles, officially or unofficially, essentially running the Lakers front office. What do you think the Lakers need to do this year to keep at least Palinka in charge? Yeah. Palinka is different. I think Palinka, the seat is pretty warm under Palinka. I, I think um, it, while has a relationship that really matters with the Lakers and with Jeannie Buss, again, because of the ties back to Kobe and, and the Bryant family. Um, it, he has overseen a tenure here with LeBron where three out of the four years, the Lakers were irrelevant. Now in the fourth year, they won a championship, but <laughs> in the other three years, they were mostly irrelevant in the title picture. So uh, I, I think for him, the Lakers would probably have to, like sniff the conference finals, meaning win the first round and compete in the second round. Uh, for the Rambi, I don't think they're ever going anywhere. And that's kind of terrifying because mm-hmm. Kurt Rambis has been a disaster everywhere that he's been in NBA circles. And uh, unless he was uh, operating as an assistant coach under Phil Jackson, right. um, that, you know, and, and operating as an assistant coach under Phil Jackson, when you're, 
to when your team is highlighted by Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Like that was yeah. the spot that Kurt Rambis really looked good. <laughs> yeah. But but every every other spot that he has been at that didn't have those advantages, he hasn't been um, anything to write home about. But he, I think, is he's probably lost, around he, to stay. Mm-hmm. He's lost more than seventy percent of his games as an NBA head coach, by the way. Oh yeah, no, I mean he's yeah he's one of the worst coaches in the history of the league, and uh, so but still. He is married to Linda Rambis, who is Jeannie's closest confidant. And and I think what it would take is some pressure from other ownership, other people in ownership to kind of press Jeannie and say, hey, what are we doing here? One thing that's been really interesting in terms of team values over the last few years or so, the Warriors have skyrocketed. The Knicks have skyrocketed, despite James Dolan being James Dolan. The Lakers have always just kind of been treading water in that like four or five billion dollar range, which is crazy to think or whatever. But but if the teams around you, the, the Clippers are about to skyrocket once their new building has been built. So in terms of just cold business, these minority owners are going to be saying, "Hey, where's the return on our on our investment here?" And is the way that you're operating affecting that return on the investment? And that's where I think Jeannie might be forced into a situation where she has to bring some adults into the room. I think that's a perfect way to put it because, you know, there are other warm weather destinations in the NBA. You know, Miami is obviously a marquee attraction and there are other California teams and there is another LA team that is no longer a joke either. So again, just to my point earlier, like simply being the Lakers isn't good enough anymore, clearly. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point, yes, adults are needed in the room. Okay, the next question then, if that if those are the expectations you think, at least for Palinka, and I know it's a hard question to answer because we don't know what the roster is going to look like for sure, but based on what you think the roster will be mm-hmm. and the way the West is shaping up, what is your expectation and or projection for the Lakers this season? I think it's viable that they're able to compete in that second round. And, and, and you know, so if they get like a first round matchup with, Phoenix or something like that. I, I I don't I don't think Phoenix is particularly good. Um, that's a team that the Lakers could potentially upset in the first round. And then though you're dealing with like Golden State at the top of the conference, or if it's a he- healthy Denver team, mm-hmm. that's where I think the Lakers would probably stumble and eventually lose to one of those two teams. Um, and and uh, if if in terms of viability or or the potential for that actually coming to fruition, I, I would probably put that at like 40%. I think it's probably maybe even 30%. I think it's a lot more likely that the Lakers once again, just kind of toil in mediocrity and eventually exit the playoffs sooner than they would like. All right. If that's a 40% kind of uh upshot, then what would you put the percentage at that Russell Westbrook is on this team on opening night? Oh, like 5%. I don't, so I don't you, you, think it's going to happen. Yeah. You you think he'll be gone? You think yeah, he'll be gone I, before? I definitely and do. You it's think been, it's the Turner healed deal? Yeah, yeah. I, With the picks attached. From from what I've heard, that's the that's always been, especially once things started turning in Brooklyn. Uh, that it it for for a couple of weeks now, the people that I have spoken to have been operating as if the the Indiana trade was the most likely, and then actually, right when the the Patrick Beverly trade happened last night, my immediate thought was okay. So right. we're, 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 it's just a matter of whether, when the Lakers will include that second first round pick rather than if, um, I think it'll happen sooner rather than later because LeBron has this little training mini camps that he's, mm-hmm. that he's like to do in LA. Um, 
and and I think he doesn't want to have to invite Russ to it. Yeah. So so I think it, it probably within my guess, uh, you know, educated guess or whatever. But I, I would think that in the next week or so, Russell Westbrook will will be traded in Indiana and probably eventually bought out and goes to Washington or something. Yeah, and then you're looking at a Lakers team that goes into the season with like, a, as we mentioned before, Patrick Beverly, Buddy Heald, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Miles Turner, like. Mm-hmm. You can't really ask for a better starting five than that, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, that's it, the, that would be the envy of most teams, most franchises. In like, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll put it this way: if that's the Lakers failing, right? That's the Lakers failing. Then how many teams out there would love to fail like the Lakers? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know yeah. exactly. And and if if they have that lineup going into the season, and they still as you mentioned, fail loudly, then I think shit's about to hit the fan. Because yeah. it's one thing if that team, you know, just doesn't win a championship, but as we were kind of mentioning, you know, gets the second round, maybe the conference finals, wins 50 games, whatever. But if that team fails as loudly and as spectacularly as they have the last couple of years, then I think like all bets are off and there's going to be like a flamethrower taken to this thing because yeah. that, that would be quite spectacular. Well, because they, they will have wasted another year of LeBron. You yeah. know, and, and, and I think, so one thing to really kind of pay attention here is, is the Lakers cap space this upcoming off season? And if they're able to keep that open, I don't think LeBron wants Rob Palenka anywhere near the decisions that can be made with 30-ish million dollars in cap space. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, I did say we'd talk a little about KD, just because I think... Even though it ended up being anticlimactic, I thought the whole saga was kind of um, fascinating in a lot of ways. So just your take. I know you, you know, majority cover the Lakers, but mm-hmm. sitting out there and covering the Lakers, but watching this other kind of dysfunctional uh, big money or market team happen on the opposite coast. What were your thoughts on the entire KD saga? Did the way it ended surprise you? Do you feel or think or care any differently about Kevin Durant than you did a few months ago? I thought it was really interesting that the league kind of told Kevin Durant, hey, you're an incredible talent, but are you ever are you capable of being happy while employed for an NBA team? Mm-hmm. You know, I I thought it was really interesting. Now, were the Nets ever operating in good faith with the type of demands that they were making? I think that's fair to wonder about. And if you're another NBA team and you don't think that the team that you're negotiating with is doing so in good faith, then why ever really present a serious offer? But uh, the Nets or the, the, the Raptors didn't include Scotty Barnes. The uh, Celtics didn't want to include uh, Time Lord Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant, who will go down, I think, as like a top 10 talent in the history of, of, of the sport. Uh, Phoenix didn't want to include Cam Johnson and DeAndre Ayton. And what I keep hearing here, essentially, Miami's a little different because they couldn't include right. Bam because of, of the weird CBA rule. But yeah. but 
I, what I what I kept hearing was like, yeah, we're interested, but and with a player of of Durant's talent, that but is really loud, and and I think it has a lot to do with look, OKC did everything that they could to make him successful out there. And not only does he leave and put them in a spot where they don't really get anything in return for him, but he leaves to the team that beat him in, in, in that, that the last series that he played for OKC. And he goes to golden state and they do everything that they possibly can. Steph Curry even kind of steps aside, welcomes him with open arms. And if you read all the reports coming out of there, he seemed miserable the whole time. And so he, he winds up leaving there and he goes to Brooklyn where he asks that Kyrie show up and he asks that they get rid of Jared Allen so that DeAndre Jordan can play more. And he gets all of these, these requests fulfilled by Brooklyn and Lee and demanded a trade nonetheless. So I thought to me that the, the biggest tech takeaway that I had was, wow, it, the league does doesn't really seem to respect the way that KD does his business. No, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, the cold, bitter reality for KD is also like, you could have got away with that a couple of years ago, you know, a few years ago when you were yeah. younger and more in your prime, yeah. you're still a great player. You know, m- most people would kill to have a prime that looks like 33 year old Kevin Durant, but still yeah. you are not prime Kevin Durant anymore. You're about to be 34 years old. You're a few years removed from a blown Achilles. You've missed about 40% of your team's game over the la- games over the last two years. Did you really expect as great as you are that like every team would be bending over backwards and ready to completely sell the farm for you. Like, or that I think for me, the most surprising part of it. And the thing that left me baffled this week when the, you know, the the statement came out that they were agreeing to extend their partnership (laughs) where they announced it as if he signed a new deal, even though, you know, as you mentioned to start this episode, he signed that last year for four more years. I think what was so interesting to me was how, I want to say how weakly KD played this. And what I mean by that is like, Mm -hmm. I've never seen a star of Durant's magnitude in the player empowerment era weak arm this so much instead of strong arm it. Like he had to have gone into this knowing, okay, with four years left on his deal, he had to have known he really had to take an aggressive approach here if he wanted to get moved because the Nets had all the leverage. And you know, from the beginning, I was thinking, no, like Kevin Durant, the Hooper's Hooper, he's not going to hold out. And so I thought this yeah. was how it was going to go. But the one time I changed my mind was when the report came out that he met with Joe Sy and, yeah. you know, offered an ultimatum. It's them or me. You got to fire the coach and GM or keep like there's there's me or them. Yeah. That is when I got to the point where I was like, oh, shit, KD might end up getting what he wants here. Because if he's willing to throw that ultimatum on the table while still being under long term team control, Clearly, yeah. he must be willing to hold out. Like, you don't issue that ultimatum while under yeah. contract for four years if you're not willing to hold out. At least that's the way I perceived it. See, see, I actually took it the opposite way. That was when I thought, oh, this they might actually be able to call his bluff because we can't call it a trade demand if you're giving them a way to keep you. A trade demand, by definition, is trade me. Right. There is no... like. You know, Joe Sy could come. Well, what if we fire Sean Marks? No, trade me. Yeah. What if we fire Steve Nash? No, trade me. Right. So when I when I heard that he's he went to them and said, "Look, all right, yes, it's a trade demand, but if you fire these two guys, maybe I'll stick around. Maybe Kyrie and I will stick around." That's when I said, "Oh, so 
So they're not, he's not going to get anything here. I, one of the funniest tweets I saw as after the, the Brooklyn Nets thing, uh, after they made their announcement was like, man, even Marcus Gasol got a coach fired. <laughs> yeah, like, I saw that. I saw, yeah. <laughs> the fact that the fact that Kevin Durant, who again, I legitimately think is a top 10 talent in the history of the NBA. And yes, like he is, he is past his prime. He's 34 years old and he's, re- he's a couple years removed from an Achilles, uh, rupture, but like this is a guy who should be able to get a fairly mediocre Steve Nash fired. I, I, I know I probably shouldn't say that, you know, in, on the score about 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 Steve Nash, but but I, I he's not a great coach. This isn't Phil Jackson. This isn't Greg Popovich. Right. This isn't some some culture defining presence in in the Nets organization. No, this is just, he's an okay coach who clearly was kind of above his uh, above his head in water in in, in the last postseason. So I. I yeah, when 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 I got those reports, when we all got those reports that he made that ultimatum, that's when I was like, oh, okay, this is they're gonna keep Kyrie, they're gonna keep KD, and I, do I think it's gonna be pretty? Do I think it's gonna be smooth? Of course not. Like the right. the actual statement that they should have made was just tweet out that dog in a fiery room, saying like this is fine. Yeah, yeah. this is fine. Yeah. This is that that should have been the extent of their statement. But but I, I you know it, for. The intents and purposes of their immediate future, I thought uh, KD going back made the most sense. I, I agree it made the most sense. Just I, I just don't understand from his perspective, like if he was going to go through all this knowing he had four years left on his contract and he really had no leverage. Yeah. To me, like his only leverage was potentially holding out, right? Because at least then, you know, the Nets are this team that doesn't control its own first round pick until 2028. And they were pretty damn bad with him off the court last season. And you know, you know, uh, Kyrie is flaky. You don't know what you're getting from Ben Simmons. Like if KD actually had the stomach to hold out, miss a few paychecks, the Nets get off to a rough start. They have this year, they had the pick swap. So it wouldn't have been as bad, but still long-term, they don't control their own picks. Like I thought that was the one way he could potentially back them into somewhat of a corner and put some pressure on them. And I guess that what's surprising was just like, oh, okay. So you weren't willing to hold out this whole time anyway. Right. And you knew you had four what years on your contract. What did you expect? Like, did you really think <laughs> yeah. Brooklyn was going to be like, oh, you, you want to be traded? Oh, okay, we'll do it then because you want it. Like, did you really think you, you were yeah. just going to get what you wanted because you asked for it with all this team control left on your contract right. and without being willing to hold out? Like, it, yeah. it just, in well, the end, it was like, well, what a waste of time. You just wasted of- your own time, everyone else's time, you know, to Pat Bev's point, whether you agree with him or not, like a lot of the league got held up and guys' futures yeah. were put on hold while the league waited for this KD situation. And you know what? If he was never willing to hold out given his contract, he should have known this is how it was going to end. He shouldn't have wasted anyone's time. I thought one interesting thing in doing what little reporting I did on on that situation, because obviously, like, for me, I'm not I'm not interested in Kevin Durant specifically, obviously mm-hmm. the Lakers were waiting mm-hmm. for some outcome there so that they could make a move on, on Kyrie Irving, but, but it still required some digging on my part. And one of the really interesting things, like fascinating trends was how many people were like, no, this is just Kevin. Like this is, he'll change his mind. You know, the number of people who, you know, just again, the way that he kind of operates is, yeah, he's he's a little wishy washy. Like this is this is, um, and I I think emotional is kind of a loaded term because of for for a variety of, of right. reasons. But there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, he, after they lost and and given the way that 
things have gone there where he brings his best friend in, in Kyrie Irving. Kyrie doesn't feel like playing basketball. He brings in James Harden and moves heaven and earth to bring James Harden in there. James Harden shows up out of shape. And it's one of those spots where, you know, you lash out and you lash out at people illogically. You're not going to lash out at your close friends. You're not... Kevin Durant was just out partying with James Harden in Europe, right? Like they're still close. So he's not going to lash out at the people who actually deserve the ire. He's going to, he's going to get angry at the people who appeased him and, and, and brought in yeah. those players. And, and even as, 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 as logically as, as that might be. And um, so when he made this, this trade demand, Yes, there were a lot of people, myself included, who for a while there thought that he would eventually get moved because it's the NBA, it's the superstar empowerment era. These guys just generally get what they want. But there was an undertone out there of, yeah, but also it's Kevin. Eventually, they can probably gamble on him changing his mind. And they did, and he did. A player as great as Kevin Durant, the point of like, we don't know them off the court really, no matter how much we follow them or cover them or whatever, like... I'm always of the mind, even something like this, when people talk about, oh, it's going to damage his legacy. or it's gonna, I'm usually of the mind, like, get out of here. Like, it, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Even when he went to Golden State, I was one of the people saying, hey, listen, he was telling anyone who would listen, it was always going to be a basketball decision. And basketball-wise, yeah. he could not have made a better decision. Like, Absolutely. this is the first time, I think, where, not that I think it matters or like, oh, he's a bad person. Obviously not, none of that stuff. But yeah. If you were to ask me, like, is your opinion of him as a player or like his stature in the game, or do you think there is some like damage to his legacy or how people perceive him? This is the first time I'd be like, you know what? I think there has been some irreparable damage to the way, at, at least to the way people view him. And I'm not talking about like the haters that will be like, oh, you went to Golden yeah. State. I could never respect you again. I mean, more reasonable people, whether that's people yeah. like us who do, you know, try to do this for a living, or yeah, I think people with more reasonable minds that usually don't attack players like that i think even for a lot of people in that realm yeah i think this might be the first time that you kind of can look at it and be like yeah i'm not sure i look at kd the same way anymore man i mean it, again the, the league was basically saying it's not even a matter of because all right kevin doesn't care what you or i think about his career of course clearly no, right sure. you just go on look on twitter or whatever and and you 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 could see a guy who clearly is not at all phased by what I have to say about his career and his legacy and stuff. And honestly, that's that's probably how this that's the most healthy approach to this. But he does care what his peers have to say about him. He does care what the league on a macro level says about him. And we've already seen Patrick Beverly kind of subtweet him like, hey man. Like all yep. that, all that we waited for all that, and, and and the fart noise at the end of this, the wet fire, the the wet fire, uh, firework that 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 this that this was like this is this is what you put us all through for, and then so you get that, and then again the league essentially saying, like it has to be humbling for Kevin Durant to know that no team came out and made a Rudy Gobert offer. Like this is a guy who. His, he's baguette biombo. Like this is this is a guy that like we 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 laugh at postseason in postseason out. This guy can't stay on the floor in Minnesota. Like bent over backwards to go out and get this guy, and no team made anything close to that kind of an effort. Like the Knicks right now, we're getting ready to move five or six first round picks for for Donovan Mitchell, and again nobody made that kind of an offer for Kevin Durant. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think will really hit home for him, and and. 
whether you or I feel differently about him, I, I definitely do. What matters more to him, I think, is, is the league kind of telling him, you're not that guy. Yep. And I think people will remember that, obviously. People are yeah. going to remember how the league reacted or didn't react, rather, to you know, 33-year-old Kevin Durant being available. Um, yeah. And I think the whole saga, as much of it, as it did end with the fart noise, as as you mentioned, you know, it was it was fascinating in its own way. And what's going to be more fascinating is what the hell happens in Brooklyn this season, because yeah, wishy washy KD, flaky Kyrie, and whatever Ben Simmons is at this point, you know, we, it'll be <laughs> sixteen. Yeah. It will be sixteen months yeah. since he last played an NBA game when the season tips off, and he's doing it with KD and Kyrie. And like, I get the basketball reasons why it could be very good. But as I wrote this week, there are a a lot more reasons to bet against that specific trio together at this stage in their careers than there are reasons to believe in them as a trio. And uh, it kind of seems a bit silly to go into this season being like, ah, it'll be fine. Like, you know, if they just stay healthy, if Kyrie actually plays like 70 games, if Ben Simmons is okay for the whole season, like, you know, that's a lot of ifs that I, I don't understand why people would bank on them, given what we've seen from each guy over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think I saw that their title bet went from like 40 to one down to eight to one. Yeah. And I would have bet them closer to 40. I won't bet them at, at eight to one. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. They they share the fourth best odds with Milwaukee now. And uh, I do not have the same faith in them as I do in yeah. Giannis. So, yeah, um, yep. Anyway, at the, uh, in very um, Score NBA podcast, Pound the Rock fashion, I told you we'd go for 30 minutes and it's 53-18 <laughs> right now. So I do apologize for that, but uh, also very much appreciate your time. It was fun for me. Hopefully it was fun for you. I know it was fun for our listeners. So It was. Had a blast. Uh, anytime. Give me a call. Appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you again to Anthony Irwin. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and that you enjoyed this kind of holdover episode again. Until both Wolfon and I are... Uh, back at work and, and potting together a couple times a week again, which should be, I'd say, a couple weeks away. Again, obviously, similar to this week, if something big goes down, if Donovan Mitchell gets traded, you'll hear from at least one of us. But uh, other than that, probably looking at a couple more weeks until we're both working at the same time again and, and getting back to getting these to you at least once a week and then once the season starts a couple times a week. In the meantime, again, uh, I want to say thank you to everyone that uh, tweeted at me, Instagram, DM me, sent emails, whatever, asking about uh, where Pound the Rock was and uh, when a new episode was coming. Mitchell Stevens and Muhammad Hamani just in the last few hours or 24 hours have reached out. Those are a couple guys we've given shout outs to before. Uh, I will say, in terms of the official fan shout-out for this week, I want to hold off on it, and I'll tell you why. It's going to go, so if you're listening to this, uh, please know we have not ignored you. It's going to go to Jeremiah Lipscomb. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Lipscomb, Lipscomb, who reached out to me on Instagram about a month ago. But, Jeremiah, I want to hold your official fan shout-out with everything you wrote to me until Wolfon is back, and we can enjoy it together, because I need Wolfon to be here when I read your just incredible wizards rant which you know was in relation to our episode i guess around the time beal signed his new contract so jeremiah we did not forget about you we will get to your real shout out and read your just epic wizards rant that you wrote to me and to us uh the next time wolfon and i are podcasting together until then I leave you with the usual call out for all of our listeners. Reach out via Twitter at Joseph Cacharo at Joey underscore double U Y O U. 
hit me up on Instagram, Joe underscore 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 cash. Email joseph.cacharo at the score.com, joe.wolfon at the score.com. And uh, let us know where you listen from, how long you've been listening, what you think about the show, maybe what you don't like about the show. And we will definitely get you a shout out on a future episode. Until one of those future episodes, whenever that may be, for Anthony Irwin, for an absent Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock.